poets and intellectuals of this time, the innovative minds, the intelligentsia, those that are breaking down the barriers and choosing a bohemian existence, escaping from dreary suburban ideals and materialistic death traps. Where are these engaging people? The risk takers, the revolutionaries, those living apart from this big unrest, those escaping the sterility of corporate junkies who get high on materialistic consumption. Welcome to the Bohemian Beat. We will journey beyond the horizon and find the artists living on the edge, going down into the murky waters of their very existence, where these brave souls have re-emerged with art that is challenging, original and brutal. You have tuned in to The Bohemian Beat. I'm ready with you until the end of the hour. Continuing today with our series of gothic tales, we begin with a track from the dark wave band, The Crew Shadows. A lot of their music is based on Greek and Egyptian mythology.
Cruise Shadows with Helios. Helios was the sun and god of the sun in Greek mythology. The Greeks believed Helios, accompanied by Eos, drove a four-horse chariot across the sky each day. Each evening, a huge golden cup brought him back to his palace in the east on the river Oceanus. His daily journeys made him an all-seeing god, and the Greeks often called upon him to witness their oaths. As time passed, Helios was increasingly identified with the god of light, Apollo. In the following poem, Hymn of Apollo by English Romantic poet Percy Bysshe Shelley, the speaker serves as a voice of Apollo. The sleepless hours who watch me as I lie, curtained with star-inwoven tapestries from the broad moonlight of the sky, fanning the busy dreams from my dim eyes. Waken me when their mother, the grey dawn, tells them the dreams and that the moon is gone. Then I arise, and climbing heaven's blue dome, I walk o'er the mountains and the waves, leaving my robe upon the ocean foam. My footsteps pave the clouds with fire, the caves are filled with my bright presence, and the air leaves the green earth to my embraces bare. The sunbeams are my shafts, with which I kill deceit that loves the night and fears the day. All men who do or even imagine ill fly me, and from the glory of my ray, good minds and open actions take new might until diminished by the rain of night. I feed the clouds, the rainbows and the flowers with their ethereal colors. The moon's globe and the pure stars and their eternal bowers are cinctured with my power as with a robe. Whatever lamps on earth or heaven may shine are portions of one power, which is mine. I stand at noon upon the peak of heaven. Then, with unwilling steps, I wander down into the clouds of the Atlantic even. For grief that I depart, they weep and frown. What look is more delightful than the smile with which I soothe them from the western isle? I am the eye with which the universe beholds itself and knows itself divine. All harmony of instrument or verse, all prophecy, all medicine is mine. All light of art or nature, to my song, victory and praise in its own right belong.
Parov Stella with the Sun. And before that, Margaret Scott reading a poem by Percy Bysshe Shelley called Hymn of Apollo. English romantic poet Percy Bysshe Shelley lived between 1792 and 1822. He is considered among the finest lyric poets in the English language and one of the most influential. A radical in his poetry, as well as in his political and social views, Shelley did not see fame during his lifetime, but recognition for his poetry grew steadily following his death. This next poem by Percy Bysshe Shelley is an excerpt from Prometheus Unbound, a poetic play that tells of the torments of the Greek mythological figure Prometheus, who gave mankind the secret of fire in open defiance to the decrees of Zeus, and who, as punishment for his generosity, was chained to the Caucasus Mountains and exposed to horrible tortures. However, in Shelley's version, Zeus is overthrown, which allows Prometheus to be released. My soul is an enchanted boat, which like a sleeping swan doth float upon the silver waves of thy sweet singing. And thine doth like an angel sit beside a helm conducting it, whilst all the winds with melody are ringing. It seems to float ever forever upon that many winding river between mountains, woods, abysses, a paradise of wildernesses. Till like one in slumber bound, born to the ocean, I float down around into a sea profound of ever-spreading sound. Meanwhile thy spirit lifts its pinions in music's most serene dominions, catching the winds that fan that happy heaven. And we sail on, away, afar, without a course, without a star, but by the instinct of sweet music driven, till through Elysian garden islets, by thee most beautiful of pilots, where never mortal pinnace glided, the boat of my desire is guided, realms where the air we breathe is love, which in the winds and on the waves doth move, harmonizing this earth with what we feel above. We have passed ages' icy caves, and manhood's dark and tossing waves, and youth's smooth ocean smiling to betray. Beyond the glassy gulfs we flee of shadowed peopled infancy through death and birth to a diviner day a paradise of vaulted bowers lit by downward-gazing flowers and watery paths that wind between wildernesses calm and green, peopled by shapes too bright to see, and rest having beheld, somewhat like thee, which walk upon the sea and chant melodiously. I saw you in my mind when I was younger And I grew older and I saw you still You'd stay close to me sometimes behind my shoulder 
When I was weary, trouble would come. In my last defense, you tried to warn me. I did not know you. You were a demon to me. Your presence, it was a fear that lived inside me. It grew around me, then you would appear. Deep below the earth, I might have found you. High above the tower, I could not see. Deep below the earth, I might have found you. High above the tower, I could not see. I was dead and I was dying at your doorway. I did not see you. You did not. Between the years, I might have come to know you, but I don't own you. That much is clear. nationally since 2007 across the community radio network. We just heard Matthew and the Atlas with Out of the Darkness and before that Vincent Price reading an excerpt from Prometheus Unbound by English romantic poet Percy Bysshe Shelley. In July of the year 1822 Percy Bysshe Shelley drowned in a sailing accident off the course of Italy just a month before his 30th birthday. His famous wife, Mary Shelley, was just 24 years old at the time of his death. Mary lived the first year with friends in Genoa, where she often saw Lord Byron and transcribed his poems. She resolved to live by her pen and for her son. During this time, 
she turned her hand to poetry to reconcile her grief. In July of the year 1823, she wrote the poem The Choice. In the studio to read verses from The Choice by Mary Shelley is Suze. Excerpts from The Choice by Mary Shelley. My choice, my choice, alas, was had and gone, with the red gleam of the last summer's sun, lost in the deep in which he bathed his head. My choice, my life, my hope, together fled. A wanderer, here no more I seek a home, the sky a vault, and Italy a tomb. Yet as some days a pilgrim I remain, linked to my orphan child by duty's chain. And since I have a faith that I must earn by suffering and by patience a return of that companionship and love which first upon my young life's cloud like sunlight burst, and now has left me dark as when it beams quenched by the might of dreadful ocean stream. Leave that one cloud a gloomy speck on high beside one star in the else darkened sky. Since I must live, how would I pass the day? How meet with the fewest tears the morning's ray? How sleep with calmest dreams? How find delights as fireflies gleam through interlunar nights? By this remorse and love, and by the years through which we shared our common hopes and fears, by all our best companionship, I dare call on thy sacred name without a fear. And thus I pray to thee, my friend, my heart, that in thy new abode thou'lt bear a part in soothing the poor Mary's lonely pain as link by link she wears her heavy chain. And thou, strange star, ascendant at my birth, which reigned, they said, kind influence on earth. So from great parents sprung, I dared to boast, fortune, my friend, till set thy beams were lost. And thou, inscrutable, by whose decree has birthed this hideous storm of misery, here let me cling, here to these solitudes, these mortal shaded streams and chestnut woods. Tear me not hence, here let me live and die, in my adopted land, my country. Italy.
Sue's reading a couple of verses from the poem The Choice by Mary Shelley. To support herself and her son after the death of her husband, Percy B. Shelley, Mary wrote novels, including Valperga, published in 1823, The Last Man, published in 1826, and the autobiographical Lodore, published in 1835. However, she is most remembered for Frankenstein, published in 1818, under the title Frankenstein, or The Modern Prometheus where a mad scientist, Victor Frankenstein, creates his monster by assembling parts of dead bodies and activating the creature with electricity. The monster, which has no name in the book, is actually a gentle, intelligent creature, but everyone fears and mistreats him because of his hideous appearance. Driven by dreadful loneliness, the monster returns to his creator and begs him to create a companion for him. The following excerpt is from the novel Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. I heard the crackling of a branch and the moving of a form on the velvet moss. I thought you'd come, creator. You. Are you frightened, creator? You dare talk to me. Please don't turn away from me. Please. Let me go. I mean no harm to you. Listen to me, Victor Frankenstein. You must listen to me. You created me. You owe me that much. I owe you nothing, murderer. Why 
Am I a murderer? Because you created a form so horrible, a face so distorted that no man can look upon me and call me friend. I'm an outcast. You can save me. Let me go. Not until you hear my story. Sit down, creator. My arm. Let me go. I wandered through the streets of London that first day. Children screamed in the streets. People flocked together trying to kill me. And I was lonely and hungry. Now, what do you expect of me? A companion. A woman of the same species with my defects. One who will be my friend. This, this being, you must create. No, I'll not do it. You must. Every man's entitled to a wife. No. You must. If you create her for me, I'll take her with me into the far wastes, and no one will ever see either of us again, ever. How will you live? On fruits and berries. We'll manage together. Please, you can't deny me this. A maid. A monster's maid. You will? You will? I swear, I'll never harm another human... Never, Creator, if you'll only grant me just one companion. And if I refuse? If you refuse, even a brain that you have made, Creator, might become twisted and distorted. And so that night in the forest, I made a devil's bargain. The monsters swore to live in the forest and wait... Wait a year or two years if necessary. And upon completion of my work, he would take his companion away. But if I broke my promise, he swore revenge. And so I started work. I searched Paris for the necessary equipment. Built a shack in the woods about a mile away from our chalet. Three months I worked. Three solid months. Shaping her who was to be his mate. And then, one night, it was windy outside. I thought the wind had blown the door open when... Victor! Victor, I'm sorry, I had to disturb you. Is it Beth? No, not Beth. She's fine and sends her love. It's the townspeople. Your activities have stirred up a lot of curiosity. Oh, the fools! Well, I can't blame them, especially after the rumors which have been going around. Rumors of the... Victor, you know the monster in these forests. You've known of him all along. People have seen him and connect him with you. Mothers in the village are frightened of their children. Then there is a monster. At school, I stumbled on the secret of life. I was trying to create a superior race. I was a fool and I created him instead. And he does live? Yes, he lives. Professor Waldman. What happened to Professor Waldman? The night I created the monster, Waldman became frightened. He screamed, attempted to kill the creature. The creature, like a child, warded him off and... 
and then tore him to pieces in front of me. I couldn't stop him. The monster had killed before it had really begun to live. Then what? The monster left the basement through the side entrance, carrying the professor's corpse. I had no choice. I had to leave the country. Oh, what are you doing with that creature now? Fulfilling a promise. Follow me into my cabin and I'll show you. What? A woman. Yes, a woman. The monster's mate, his friend. I promised him a friend. And in return, he swears to hide himself forever from the world. A, a devil's bargain, Victor. A bargain I must keep for all our sakes. But the monster proved himself a murderer time and time again. Oh, destroyer, before you bring her to life. Yes, avalanche of hatred. Look, you've no time to waste. Set fire to this cabin quickly, Victor. Set fire to the cabin and come away. Go back to Beth Henry at, at once and wait for me. And you? I... I'll set fire to the cabin as soon as I destroy my books. I'll join you later. Well, hurry, friend. We'll meet you home as soon as you can make it. For one full hour, I worked feverishly. I soaked the shack in oil, and then taking a taper from the vase, I, I lit the fire. The fire started quickly. I placed my books in the very center of the room, and then opened the door of my shack. The experiment was at an end, and I felt free. The monster's mate would never live. I walked out, and then I saw him, his face contorted with rage. My wife! My only dead battle friend!
Ryan Bate, and we just heard Letters versus Numbers with My Turn to Evil. And before that, an excerpt from Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, performed by The Weird Circle. And now, from Gothic Tales of 1816 to a modern-day Gothic radio play called Grooming, where literary mystery is unravelling in the little town of Stokersvale. In the following episode, the local police are trying to understand how the mysterious and amnesic woman discovered in the graveyard is connected with the dead body that just disappeared from the morgue. This is episode three of Grooming. Don't make me have to. I tell you, I never touch her. Mate, you just need to sober up. She tell you lies about me. I love her. That's not how it looks to us, mate. I never make trouble. Sure, just like the last time we were here. I know my rights, you scum. In! The system's evil. Evil. <laughs> we showed him, didn't we, Jonesy? Yeah, Sarge. We showed him. So what's called up you? It's nothing. Come on. Well, we could have handled that differently. Constable, I know that, Bob. They're always the first to whinge whenever... Anyway, bugger them. What's the go with that graveyard woman? I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, she's a looker, all right. I didn't mean that. Sure, sure, I know, but you have to admit she is very... Well-groomed? Well-groomed. Bit of an old-fashioned thing for you to say, Jonesy. But yeah, mind you, these days people use that word when they mean pedif... Hang on, what's this? Ambos? Let's find out. You're going to stop them? Uh, which way's the party? The doof, you mean? Just past the old wooden bridge. What's up? Seems someone's OD'd. Yeah, that'd be right. What happened to the music? Uh, it stopped. We'll come with you. Sarge? Give it a rest, mate. I just want to speak to our beautiful wife. VKG, Stoker 5. Look, this is my boss. So shut up. Stoker 5, do you copy? Constable Brady? Uh, VKG, sorry, Inspector. Constable Brady's gone inside the mortuary to do the paperwork. Constable Jones, where are you? Uh, just outside with a uh, passenger. Mate, I mean, Constable Brady shouldn't be long. No problem. You can pass it on to her. We found Mr O'Malley's next of kin and older brother, Patrick, in Adelaide. He's flying up tomorrow night. How did he take the news? Pretty well. It seems they hadn't been in contact very often. But Brian's heart attack didn't come as a great surprise. Yeah, right. So the brother will be making the arrangements, as they say. Yes, cremation, I think. What do you mean disappeared? This is one of your practical jokes, right? Kath told me about you. God, if only, Mavis. It's... it's impossible. It was only, what, 45 minutes? Right. Let's get serious, Doctor. We've got ourselves a crime scene. How many ways out are there? Who's got access? When... You're asking the wrong person, I'm afraid, Mavis. But it'll all be in the system. You'll need to speak to Margaret. Where's she? Margaret? Ah, at home, I expect. She should be in by... What's her number? Oh, that's in the system too. Shit, I'll have to call Frank. Good luck with that. Sorry, Mavis. Securing the body's not my department. I just try to work out what killed him. Now, can you tell me your name? 
Sapphire? It's Sapphire, isn't it? Good. Now, Sapphire, I need you to help me here. Yeah? Do you remember the colour of the pills that you took? Sarge, I think we should leave the Ambos to do their work. Yeah, no, you're right. Under the circumstances... Now, just relax. I'll just put this mask over you. You guys don't need us, do you? No. I think you've done more than enough for today, mate. Yeah, well, I'll give you back that cable. Right, Sarge? Yeah, no, I'll go get it. So, after Senior Constable Brady unlocked the handcuffs... Yes. That's when you saw him? Yes. On the other side of the cemetery? Yes. Do you remember what he was wearing? Of course. Great. Can you describe it to me? For example, was he wearing a suit? A suit? No. No, he never wears a suit. A uniform, perhaps? No, he wasn't wearing his uniform. So, a white shirt? No, black. He mostly wears black. So his trousers were black too? Yes. But it was dark, and he was, what, 60 metres away? But how did you know it was him? I knew. Hmm. Anyway, thanks for talking to me. Do you need anything? Oh, I want to go home. Yes, of course. But you haven't told us where that is. I... I don't know. Can I at least get you something to eat? Yes, thank you. I'd love a large bowl of ratatouille and a Mediterranean goat's cheese salad with avocado. Uh, it's... And a gluten-free roll. Yes. Oh, and a skinny soy decaf? Yes, of course. I'll organise it. Thank you, Inspector. Ah, g'day, Mel. Welcome back to the asylum. Jack, please tell me I'm having a bad dream. What's all this about body snatching? Uh, well, strictly speaking, it could be a premature conclusion, Your Honour. But yeah, they haven't found him yet. Mr O'Malley? To be sure. Poor bugger. Well, yeah, but I mean, he was dead before he disappeared, eh? So, what did he look like anyway? O'Malley? Yeah, I mean, you and Mavis were the last two people to see him alive, or conversely, two of the first persons to see him dead. Where is this going? Just saying, Mavis was pretty shaken up when we left the morgue. But the forensics are over there now, aren't they? Just. They drove up from Grafton. You can leave me out of that job. What, searching through the rotten corpses, you mean? Keep it nice, Constable. Anyway, my point is, who's going to identify the body if and when they find it? You? Mavis? You didn't take any pictures at the graveyard. But the coroner... Mate, the morgue doesn't have CCTV, and if somebody really has stolen the body, we're not going to find it neatly packaged with a little tag tied to its big toe. So why exactly are you thrusting an iPad into my hands? Take a look. What do you see? Uh, well, it looks a bit like Frank. A bit? I reckon I got him right. Look, I can make him a bit greyer. You got his nose right. So... Is this some sort of Identikit app? Or... Identikit? <laughs> Neo-Visage 3.8, to be precise. But only the Ds are supposed to have some... Welcome to the 21st century, Malcolm. Why don't you take it into the interview room and see if she can visualise a mystery lover? I hear you, Jack. Actually, I think I will do that very thing right now. But don't you tell you-know-who. You mean rhymes with wank? That one. <laughs> Mum's the word. Thanks. And it's Malik, by the way, not Malcolm. Hey, Jack. You're in trouble. I'm out of here. Hello, Graham Cagell. Graham, it's Kath. Oh, hi, Kath. 
What's happening? I was hoping you might tell me. Are you okay? Oh, uh, well, I could have done without all this. But hey, that's death. So forensics? Nothing so far. Not they'd tell me anyway. But surely they, and if it really is, who knew about access? A longer list than I realised. When you consider the number of funeral directors in the region, van drivers... And you've been interviewed about your movements? Only six times. It's awful. I just want the man's body back before it starts to... Well, that's what I was wondering, if somebody's after body parts. Now, hang on, Miss Mary Shelley. Have you been dreaming again? (laughs) Actually, she was still Mary Godwin when she had the dream. Touché. And I dare say cryogenics has changed after 200 years. But no, look, it's not the time. My bad. I need sleep. Of course. Go home. We'll find our Mr O'Malley. Yeah. Good as gold, Kath. Yes, that's more like it. And what about his hair? Can you make it a bit shorter? Like this? Yes, and a bit darker. Uh, I think that's... Very good. Now, can we go back to his eyes? I think you've made them a bit too blue. Okay, let's just, um... So, you enjoy the food then? Yes, thanks. Inspector Campbell said Angelo made a special effort. Although we normally use a bit less salt than him. Right. Yes, that's better. But the moustache isn't right. Can you make it a bit more... Groomed? Neatly trimmed? Like that? Yes, that's him. You'll have to let him go, Jack. But Sarge, it's his second breach. So get a statement from the wife. Mavis tried that. See, this is the problem. If she won't press charges... Yeah, yeah, I'll go sign him out. But listen, what's Kath on about this cryogenic stuff? Yeah, they were hot. Saw them at Big Day Out in Sydney. Hey? Death metal, you know, thrash. Uh, I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about, Constable. Google it. But I think the inspector is talking about freezing bodies. Oh, that. Yeah, she goes off into weird space sometimes with her poems and stuff. I'll get if I know. Anyway, I'll, I'll go do this. What's up, Jonesy? How'd you go? Ah, Sarge. Uh, the woman's becoming much more helpful. She... It must have been the four-star tucker Kath got her. Well, yeah, that's interesting too. The cooking. But I think I should show you this. <laughs> Looks like one of those ambers. <laughs> yeah, it does a bit. But it's actually the face we built together. She thinks it's... Is that Jack's iPad? Yeah, but please, I don't want to get him into any trouble. No, no, it's okay. But what do you want to do with the picture? Well, at least we can print up some copies and ask around the neighbourhood. Go for it. That's all we've got so far. Great. And then Mavis wants us to go back to the morgue. Jack, that was quick. Sarge, I've got this message from Lucy Murdoch. The journo woman. Are you one of her Facebook friends? Well, yeah. Yeah, that'd be right. So how do I... There you go, full screen. Just tap the arrow. Christ, where did she get this? You can ask her. She's waiting on line three. Sergeant Lawson. Hello, Sergeant. So lovely to hear your voice. Where did you get it? Come on, Frank. You don't expect me to reveal my sources, but thanks for your interest. Look, I'm trying to run an investigation. And I'm trying to help you. The woman walking into the graveyard is the one you're interviewing, isn't she? I can't confirm... Or deny, of course. And the man she's walking with, have you found him yet? Listen, 
No, you listen, Frank. I'll hold off publishing if you give me an exclusive. But I'm not waiting forever. Toodaloo. She's right, Sarge. It's our woman, all right. Yeah, looks like her. And the bloke with her does look like the face she did with Mal. Yeah, could be. Well, can I at least enlarge the face and check in with missing persons? Yeah, okay. Can't be any harm in that. Mavis, we're supposed to be going back to the morgue. We will soon. There it is, number 27. Park in the driveway. But Crime Stoppers get all sorts of crank calls. Mal, it's worth checking. You heard what the caller said. An ambulance arriving at a residential address to bring a body into a house? Come on then. Looks like nobody's home anyway. Righto. Time for your serious voice. Police! Oh, for God's sake, Frank. It's called getting the woman to trust us. What would you have fed her? McDonald's and Coke? I'm just saying. Well, she's been much more forthcoming since. What I did makes a whole lot more sense than stealing power cables from hippies. Yeah, well, Sarge, Inspector, sorry to interrupt, but somebody's identified our woman. So she is a missing person? Uh, not exactly, but somebody in that office recognised the face. Well, who the hell is she? Apparently one Elizabeth Agatha Wollstonecraft. Great. Case solved. Let's go talk to her. Good work, Constable. Uh, there's just one problem. What? Elizabeth Agatha Wollstonecraft died three years ago. Stress is overpassed. If tenderness and truth could last or live, whilst all while feelings keep some mortal slumber dark and deep, I shouldn't weep. I shouldn't weep. If it were enough to feel to see. Your soft eyes gaze at me And dream the rest and burn and be The secret food of fires unseen I should not weep I should not
listening to The Bohemian Beat. And that was our theme music by Gian and Simon. I Should Not Weep, based on a poem by Percy Bysshe Shelley. And before that, episodes three and four of the radio play Grooming, written and produced by Paul Goodwin. Starring Suze as woman, Yessa as Constable Mal Jones, Lydia as Senior Constable Mavis Brady, Paul as Sergeant Frank Lawson, Mitch as Probationary Constable Jack Mitchell, Alistair as Coroner Graham Cargill, Andy as Ambulance Officer Oscar Sachs, and me, Riddy, as Inspector Kath Campbell. A special thanks to Scaria, Alex and SAE Byron Bay for the audio recordings and use of the studio space. If you've missed the first couple of episodes, you can check it out on the Bohemian Beat website, thebohemianbeat.com. Well, we have run out of time. I hope you've enjoyed the show today. The Bohemian Beat will be back next week. Same beat time, same Bohemian frequency for more poetic adventures into the theatre of your mind. We will end with a track from Roy Xop called What Else Is There? Thank you for joining me on the Bohemian Beat. I'm ready. <laughs>